Ideas matter. Ideas matter. This is Dialogue. Hello and welcome to Dialogue. As the global push for sustainability and carbon neutrality intensifies, many industries are making innovative transformations to reduce their carbon footprint. So how are companies transitioning to green technologies and practices? How is smart manufacturing being applied in China and around the world? How can governments and businesses work together to encourage this transition? To discuss these issues and more, I'm joined by Carl Fay, Professor of Strategy at the BI Norwegian Business School in Oslo, Zhang Xianming, Vice President of Broad Group, General Manager of Broad Group Digital, and Professor Liu Baochen from University of International Business and Economics. Welcome to Dialogue. Carl, I will start with you. You have just attended the Broad Forum for Asia's International Science, Technology and Innovation Forum in Zhuhai. So what are some of the highlights of the meeting? You know, what's your takeaway? Uh, so it's been a really great meeting uh, with a, a lot of uh, high-level guests here. Um, you know, this is a great location for it since it's in the greater Bay Area that China's putting so much uh, focus on uh, connecting up uh, the different cities here. The key thing, I think, is that, uh, you know, this is focusing on innovation. And China for a long time has been uh, the manufacturing factory of the world. But now it's trying to transfer to be also the innovator of the world. Uh, because to make the higher wages that uh, Chinese uh, factory workers and uh, other people want, one needs to be adding more value. So you need to do innovation for that. And so that was, I think, the impetus uh, for this. Topics that were covered a lot here were a focus on more green strategies for companies. And that was great to see. That's a change, I think, from, from past years. Uh, also, there was a lot of focus on smart manufacturing. And one of the sessions that went late into the night and attracted a lot of interest was the Xi power uh, in innovation. So trying to think of all different diverse groups and including the important role that women can play in innovation. Mm -hmm. uh, so tell us a little bit, Kao, what's a smart manufacturing? When you talked about that, what do you mean? So smart manufacturing is connecting up all the different machines in a, in a factory so that they're communicating with each other um, through an intranet. Uh, and that allows more real-time information to be collected, more real-time data and to be analyzed. One of the things that's important is that you're not just collecting that information, but you're actually analyzing that. That's a trap that some companies have run into. They haven't done enough of that analysis. Uh, this allows earlier detection when, for example, you're going to run out of a raw material, when you might have a machine that needs to be serviced or a variety of things. And we see companies uh, like GRI, the, the largest uh, manufacturer of air conditioners in the world, uh, which of course is uh, based here in uh, Zhuhai and has uh, one of their um, most modern factories in Changsha. There, when they inter uh, implemented the Internet of Things, they were able to increase their productivity by 30 percent. Uh, so you can see that there are some real good gains that can be, be made. Uh, Bao Cheng, you know, smart manufacturing is becoming more widely applied in China and around the world. I mean, for China, how important is it uh, in particular at this stage and why? Well, uh, China has been uh, shifting more onto the high gear of high quality growth, but, uh, uh, you know, to be able to add more value, as uh, Carl mentioned, you really have to go for high productivity and how also for high quality of product and services. And 
uh, right now China is really cornered actually uh, uh, on the other hand one is that uh, we need to reduce more of our dependence on the fossil fuels and two is that uh, we need to have more integration uh, between regions between different sections of the entire supply chain and uh, smart manufacturing is the way to go uh, but of course we also face challenges because you uh, if you have more of smart manufacturing uh, it's going to decouple productivity from uh, uh, the employment positions. So therefore, how to make people more smart and how to make people more adaptive to the uh, rise of uh, technological demand. And this is also a challenge. And also as a professor, I also feel the pressure, uh, how we can really turn our students to be more adaptive and also more of uh, innovative positions uh, to uh, fit into uh, this new arena and new landscape. Uh, it's, it's an interesting point. We'll come back to that, you know, about the impact on, on the workers, for example, you know, with this more more automation uh, being applied. Uh, but Bochum, an important part of smart manufacturing is the Internet of Things, or IoT. Uh, how is this transforming manufacturing here in China? 20 years ago, we introduced the SAP's uh, ERP program and trying to connect stuff together. But without the support of digitization, and the ERP didn't really produce a uh, very good result, actually, uh, not only within the company, but also between companies along the entire supply chain. Now, with the artificial intelligence and the cloud computing, the big data in place, and they are uh, really be there to have the mature uh, condition to realize this on a full scale. So therefore, uh, to uh, combine uh, the uh, digital technology, to combine with a larger horizon of the market, and also to uh, combine with more of the Chinese regional integration uh, along the supply chain. And this is highly re uh, realistic, and this is demanding, and those who are really forerunners uh, at the front, they will be the winners in the end. Mm -hmm. uh, we're sending from a broad group. Uh, you know, I wonder, you know, Carl mentioned about uh, the importance of innovation or Chinese companies wants to be the innovator. How important is, is innovation to your company? Innovation is everything. It is really the culture of the company of at broad group. Um, we are a 33 year old company and uh, we uh, built our company on central air conditioning for uh, districts of cities, for commercial buildings, and we are able to um, provide cooling with uh, zero carbon emissions in exhaust uh, cogeneration systems. Uh, but throughout the, um, the past decade, uh, I think that energy um, composition has really changed. The, the energy structure has changed all over the world. So uh, where we used to focus on energy efficiency for uh, gas systems, for gas power, gas generation for electricity and cooling, but now gas is, uh, is become, uh, efficiency isn't enough. So in the past uh, decade, our company has invested uh, close to a billion US dollars in energy efficiency in renewable buildings, in um, modular sustainable buildings and also very recently uh, we're building uh, the world's first entirely uh, circular wind power and it will be 
also one of the world's largest uh, wind power of 30 megawatts generation. So none of these would be possible if we don't invest heavily in research, especially towards uh, green transformation. We also talked about smart manufacturing. I mean, I wonder in your group, uh, is this popular? I mean, what's the impact in terms of efficiency and other you know, man, uh, things about your business there? As the world is getting uh, more competitive, uh, smart manufacturing is really uh, a must, especially in the past three years where we had to uh, work against uh, the restrictions um, uh, of, uh, of what COVID has brought to the supply chain, that uh, smart manufacturing is able to predict uh, instabilities and help us to really uh, look at an entirety what our supply chain um, uh, is like in terms of what are the risks and uh, predict future um, um, uh, instabilities. And without um, digitalization and smart manufacturing, uh, we'll probably not be able to uh, continue uh, high productivity. But if we were able to invest ahead of time in smart manufacturing and digital digitalization, I think uh, we'll be better at handling uh, unforeseeable, uh, for example, black swan events. Yeah, uh, cow obviously, um, I mean, it's very helpful uh, in terms of the digitalization, in terms of uh, internetization, in terms of uh, Internet of Things. Uh, and China, if you look, take a look, you know, there are many large ports. And uh, now you have the short video clips about the ports basically you know, uh, operating without basically any workers there. Uh, people say that's the Internet of Things or that's a smart manufacturing sort of. Uh, so how important is that, uh, you know, the increasing uh, Internet of Things, smart manufacturing in terms of increasing, uh, you know, efficiency and also probably to deal with uh, unforeseen challenges uh, uh, in the future? So it's critical. And it's one of the things that China has been a real world leader in that is uh, making the ports uh, smart. Uh, a number of Chinese ports, most Chinese ports are moving this direction. Leaders are, for example, in Tianjin um, and in the Shanghai port. Uh, in Tianjin, for example, they now have a smart port that has 100,000 sensors in it. And they've cut down the time to unload a container ship of 20,000 containers uh, by more than 500%. So they're real efficiency savings to be had. But there also are good things for workers. So, for example, it used to be rather... On difficult uh, manual work that had to be done in these ports. Uh, you know, for example, if you were a crane operator, you were in a little cramped corner way up in the air. Uh, now you can sit uh, behind a relaxed desk uh, monitoring some uh, computer systems, you know, on the ground. So there, of course, are some jobs that are going away and thus uh, need to retrain and uh, come up with uh, uh, new, more highly skilled jobs. But there also are some improvement for workers in their conditions, which is uh, exciting. And of course, indeed, uh, we now start to see uh, autonomously driven uh, trucks moving uh, things around ports as well. Uh, I'd also like to mention, now that I'm uh, based in Norway at BI Norwegian Business School, that you know Norway is, is a big shipping uh, country in the world. Um, and uh, their companies like the Norwegian company uh, uh, Yara, which uh, actually uh, commissioned the first um, uh, boat that was uh, rather a container ship that was fully uh, working on electric power and could be autonomously driven. 
And I think we're going to see a lot more of this. Unfortunately, uh, large container ships actually do contribute very heavily uh, to the um, greenhouse emissions and pollution in the world. And of course, uh, China is, you know, a real leader in producing uh, manufacturing these um, container ships. So I think this is an area that uh, China has great potential to contribute to the world environmental situation and is starting to do so step by step. Mm -hmm. uh, environmental protection there, of course, uh, a related, important related topic there. Uh, Bolton, earlier you mentioned about uh, the impact on human beings, you know, like uh, with this increase of efficiency, increase of productivity uh, with the manu smart manufacturing. Uh, there are some benefits, but at the same time, there's a concern about the impact on workers. Uh, one concern is about, uh, say, you know, uh, the rise of unemployment, probably. What about other aspects, less, like the skills, or what kind of training they need to, in order to, say, to make this sustainable? Yes, uh, for sustainable development, we need to uh, strike a very delicate balance between economic growth, environmental protection, and also job opportunities. So right now, uh, the government has realized that uh, in order to achieve high quality growth, you need to high uh, skilled people. And uh, uh, now that uh, uh, many of the government agencies are pointing uh, out that uh, uh, workers need to be retooled and retrained uh, so that they can really be able to master uh, all the panels and uh, all the uh, digital buttons, etc., so uh, so that they can really get fitted for higher efficiency. And also the uh, uh, the training schools and universities are also uh, being required to revise their curriculum to step up the, uh, uh, the, the uh, to the real need of those uh, uh, working environment. Now that uh, you know we have a higher level of unemployment was the young graduates, uh, uh, particularly the uh, distorted by the pandemic. And uh, now, uh, actually, one part of the problem is that uh, we need to uh, be able to improve the match uh, between what they have learned and uh, what can be really used for the actual operation in smart manufacturing and smart operation. So uh, therefore, this is really a uh, critical window opportunity for China to really to have a great leap forward, but uh, it's also a immense uh, work uh, you know, ahead so that we really have an integrated level of sustainable growth. Mm -hmm. uh, well, Xianming, uh, you know, productivity, efficiency aside, uh, obviously there's impact on the human being, on the employees, uh, on your workforce. Uh, uh, so I wonder, you know, if you have been thinking of this issue, like what's the solution? Uh, what's uh, you know, being done in your company, for example, to deal with uh, such a potential challenge? I think in China, uh, urbanization will still happen, although at a much slower pace. But industrialization do bring people to cities. And whereas in our factory, we, uh, where we invest, uh, such as uh, the northern part of Hunan touching Wuhan, the Xiangyin County next to Dongting Lake, and we uh, generated over 10,000 jobs uh, over the past 10 years, um, created a tax, and uh, eventually um, the product that we make in our factory, such as modular sustainable buildings, will become um, uh, so uh, uh, become uh, affordable. And because of the elevated productivity of these factory workers, uh, that they could eventually purchase 
the product they make themselves. So that's really, uh, I think, uh, one of the vision uh, of what uh, industrialization can bring about to, to better livelihood, to bring about um, a new model of urbanization. Uh, to to um, elaborate a little bit more is that Abroad is the first company that's able to bring a whole process of uh, housing production onto an assembly line. And uh, our factory uh, has becoming gradually more and more automated, uh, although that uh, we, we, we have cut down on workforce, which is unfortunate at times, where uh, enough uh, automation, uh, before we were automated, we needed um, 100,000 worker on the assembly line to uh, reach capacity of production of one of 7 million square meter of housing per year. But now we perhaps only need a third of that. So, so uh, that this is a challenge for sure. But however, is that uh, the, the jobs that we create on more automated assembly lines, they're able to uh, afford um, uh, the products they make because they earn much more. So this is really a chicken and egg issue that do we want higher productivity, higher pay, and later on higher purchasing power? So uh, I, I think uh, there will be a painful process of uh, a transition into a more automated uh, industrial sector. But I think once we get there, we will see that um, the, the, the workforce will be um, much more professional, much more capable at the same time um, they will be happier and they will actually be able to uh, become um, um, owners or users of the products which they produce in the factory. And then they would um, uh, become a, a happy citizen in, in the city and join the future economy. Earlier, Carl mentioned about Nordic countries. Uh, they are known for being very environmentally focused. Uh, and China is paying increasingly more and more attention to environmental uh, and ecological uh, you know, using the Chinese term ecological civilization uh, here. Uh, so, Cal, what opportunities exist, uh, you know, for cooperation do you foresee between Nordic countries and China as a result of that? You know, one of the companies that's, I think, been most impressive on the ecological front is the Finnish company Neste. Neste is uh, the largest Nordic uh, oil refinery. And uh, in the early 2000s, long before most uh, companies started thinking uh, green focused, uh, Nesta, an oil refinery, said, we're going to stop refining oil eventually. We want to focus on reusables. Um, and this was you know, quite highly debatable, uh, but uh, that's what they decided to do. Uh, to make that work, the top management spent a lot of time you know, going around and talking to all the employees about this. Uh, and now they have uh, the goal that they'll be carbon neutral uh, by 2035 and that their whole supply chain will be carbon neutral by 2040. In this past year, for example, they produced uh, the first uh, fully synthetic uh, airplane fuel. Uh, so Chinese companies can collaborate with them, uh, but Chinese companies can also collaborate with a lot of the interesting startups that are, that are happening in the Nordics as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, in terms of a green uh, strategies for the business, uh, you know, Xiamin, the construction is an industry that is often not very environmentally uh, focused or friendly, let's say. So what's your firm doing, you know, to address this? So to uh, reimagine how future buildings could be made. So Broad Group is really the first company that um, after heavy investment and research, we're able to bring uh, housing production onto an assembly line into under one roof and we hire 
um, uh, uh, professional workers instead of uh, temporary periodic um, migrant worker uh, construction uh, contractor uh, contractorship. So if we are able to, um, we believe we're able to treat our workforce with uh, respect and with security, and then they would be able to elevate um, uh, perhaps their acceptance and understanding of what a green and sustainable building is, and they, they believe in this building. So uh, I can confidently say is that uh, every broad uh, assembly line uh, employee, that they really believe they're changing the construction industry for the better. So once we bring a housing production onto assembly line, then we can um, uh, readily uh, synthesize all the green solutions uh, because we, we do it all in-house in a way, uh, rather than the current way of construction where everything happens outside, it happens on a, on a construction site where uh, no one really can control what is going on. Uh, can you imagine if you want to create a Six Sigma uh, a type of um, uh, uh, management protocol on a construction site where you are exposed to elements, uh, exposed to hot temperature, but inside our factory uh, where it is, uh, I would say at this point, it's semi-automated, it's not completely automated. Maybe we are at 70% of automation, but we ultimately hope that we will achieve 95%. And then uh, eventually with automation and assembly line, so, um, really rethinking how buildings are housing construction uh, could be in the future. And then we could um, rapidly push the envelope and create more affordable green buildings. Because today the challenge isn't that there aren't solutions, is that the solutions are not affordable. But uh, through using industrial thinking and then apply it into the construction sector because these are this is really crossing sector and if we could um, if we could synthesize these two sectors as one i believe we can make greenhousing more affordable these solutions will be more affordable so everyone can afford it mm, it seems that there's uh, uh, some room to improve uh, bo Cheng, you know based on your investigation your study and research uh, about the chinese companies chinese businesses you know uh, what do you say about their, let's say, their uh, willingness or readiness to adopt uh, a say, pragmatic uh, green strategy and how far they have, they have been you know, doing in that direction and how much they have achieved? Well, uh, I should say uh, all of the Chinese companies are on the same page in terms of the importance of green development. Uh, however, the challenge lies that because China is uh, continuing to be the manufacturing hub, not only for China, but for the entire world. So uh, therefore, uh, we have uh, so many industries and where uh, we need to have, you know, building companies, we need to have cement companies, we need to have the petrochemical companies, etc. So China is really uh, shouldering the burden uh, of uh, market demand for the whole world. So therefore, uh, that's something that's uh, pretty much challenging. The government has been so tight and pushing forward both at the central and local level uh, for uh, uh, green development. So uh, one uh, practical achievement is that uh, the uh, companies are really introducing more of the innovation program by uh, reducing the emission and uh, in the meantime to boost the energy utility. And uh, second, that uh, 
uh, many of those uh, banks and funds are also getting mobilized to support the uh, green finance to uh, the uh, companies. And uh, uh, actually, many of the municipal governments like Shanghai and Beijing, they are offering more of the reward and subsidies for the green transition. So uh, eventually, it is really uh, the integrated efforts of government, businesses, and consumers, and NGOs that are able to push forward uh, for substantial improvement. But now the biggest challenge is still the Chinese energy composition, because uh, uh, more than 50% of the Chinese energy supply is relying on the burning of coal. Although uh, the quality is uh, getting improved, uh, uh, still uh, we are far uh, behind the world in terms of the uh, renewable energy supply and also the more of the uh, environmentally friendly uh, use of those energies. So this is something that uh, uh, we can really make substantial uh, improvement and contribute to the betterment of the Chinese environment and also the Mother Earth. Mm -hmm. Cal, lastly, uh, you know, Bo Chen mentioned about um, consuming more uh, green energy. Uh, I wonder, you know, what opportunities exist for energy to become greener in China? And is there anything China can learn, say, from more uh, countries probably in, the, in this respect, you know, they are doing better probably in this regard? So I think there are a number of things that uh, are interesting examples one can, can learn from. Uh, in Norway, uh, there is the highest usage per capita of electric vehicles. Uh, in fact, about 75% of electric vehicles now are, um, are electric. And by 2025, I'm sorry, of new electric vehicles uh, that are sold are electric. And by 2025, it will not be allowed to sell gas or diesel powered cars anymore. Uh, this is a great opportunity for collaboration between China and uh, Norway and was largely pushed forward by government incentives like uh, cheaper parking uh, for electric vehicles, cheaper tolls, uh, taking away the VAT on electric vehicles, etc. So great opportunities for collaboration. And in fact, the electronic vehicle manufacturers from China often do use Norway as a testing ground. Uh, but I think there are other interesting things if we look around the world that uh, China can learn from. There's some really interesting startups like uh, uh, Intercrom, which is a Canadian startup that is actually taking trash to uh, convert it into usable products to run cars on, if you can believe it or not. Sounds futuristic, but it's actually already here. Uh, there are also companies uh, like uh, uh, Winnow, uh, which is uh, analyzing food waste from kitchens. You know, about 20% of many uh, kitchens uh, in restaurants uh, is food waste, and they're trying to cut down on that by identifying what's there and working with restaurants. And then there are companies like Hala, uh, which is a startup that uh, recycles um, uh, used mobile phones and tablets. It's created more than $4 billion uh, for their owners. So you can see that uh, one can make money out of this and save more than 6,500 tons um, of uh, trash by taking the components and being able to use those again. So there are a lot of interesting opportunities if we think uh, creatively. And to tie into the last question, there were actually a study at uh, um, New York University that showed that return on investment for companies that had an ecological focus baked into their strategy was actually 18% higher than companies that did not. Well, on that note, we are coming to the end of today's show. Many thanks to our guests.